morning, everyone. Once again, we will come together for Light on Suitability. Uh, I, Daryl, Sean, Elizabeth, and we have a special guest today, Michelle. Let me introduce Michelle. Michelle Garfinkel is an attorney practicing law for 20 years, but in particular, she's been doing parole hearings for, I think, 15 plus. Is that right? Yeah, I've been, since I've been practicing law since 2006, and I started representing inmates in 2005 through a clinic at McGeorge, and I've been doing it ever since. So she does um, state appointed. She has a panel, but she takes all, all around the state, and she also takes private clients. And she's one of the top-notch state appointed attorneys on the panel. <laughs> Uh, for sure, I think for sure. So uh, she's got great insights into how to counsel clients. Number one, her take on a variety of issues. But we wanted to talk about all of it. I wanted to ask her about, I've been receiving, this is the new thing for me that I've been receiving is third party calls. So inmate calls dad. I don't know why they do this because it's still recorded, but inmate calls dad and then dad calls me three-way, which is obviously automatic violation, could get my gate clearance pulled. So I'm just not sure what the point of that was. And I was curious, actually, it's more probably appropriate for Daryl and Sean. I immediately hang up, but why, why circumvent, why risk a write-up on a 115 when you're getting your call recorded anyway. I don't, I don't quite know why that's happening. Sean, you wanna answer that? It is a risk because it, it lets you know that you cannot have a three-way party call and uh, you can receive a, one, uh, a 115 with doing that. Girl? Um, first of all, and I wanna chime on last week, we talked about criminality involving our families in criminality and making our families victims also. Um, a lot of us did not take into consideration that we were asking our family members to break the rules. Um, a lot of families don't know that they're breaking the rules uh, and they think that they're helping us. Um, and then again, a lot of people do circumvent the system because they have a great need to talk to an attorney and they want their family to listen to the conversation to verify things that's being said. Um, However, they don't know that the person that they're calling, like yourself, Elizabeth or Michelle, you can lose your license, you know, because um, you have to have that thin line of familiarity and it has to be respected and integrity also. So a lot of people don't really don't take that into account. And like Sean mentioned, it was things that was done you know, throughout the years, but they have a new system now um, that actually um, catches a lot of that, a lot of those calls, and it will immediately hang the phone up. And now with the new system, because it's automatic, your name and your CDC number is in there, it's in the system, that you can lose those phone privileges. So um, I, 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 I told someone not to do that because if you value our conversations, um, you should just do the right thing. And a lot of people just have to learn that the smallest rule violation inside, if you come to society with that mindset, you break a small rule, it can, it can cost you <laughs> severely out here, severely. Yeah, so we, we want to encourage and motivate the people not to do those uh, three-way phone calls um, because that mindset, you bring it with you, it can, it can be disastrous. 
and it's still breaking the rules. And it, and it's definitely good to let the family members know that because I don't think the family members know, period, about no three-way phone call thing. So uh, it's definitely good for them to know that they cannot make a three-way phone call at all. Yes. And, and like you said, with the new system, you know, you got to say your name, your first and last name, uh, your CDC number. And so... Uh, when is that supposed well, it kind of monitors your calls. So they had a lot of issues with people um, calling people, making threats, you know, doing certain things on the phone. And so now with this new system, just before we got released, you know, you got to say your name. So every time I call you collect, the, the computer automatically says my name, Sean Conley. This is a collect call from Sean Conley. But the way you set it up, they're going to know it's you. And so... Uh, then you have to punch in these numbers that's on your ID card. PID number. That's on your ID card. Yes. And so uh, anybody just can't get on that phone. And so now they can track you on who's on the phone, who's saying what. And so it's 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 really uh it's really big brother. They they paying attention. Is that, is that statewide? Because I know I get calls from people that just, you know, will just say a word that's not a name or something when they call. So that I'm not getting their names. Yes, that recording, excuse me for interrupting, that recording, it's supposed to be official uh, mm -hmm. statewide to the point yeah. where, and I don't know if all prisons instituted it. I know where we were at, they did. We left in September, and I think it was in full effect maybe July of where we were at. So mm -hmm. it may not have gotten all around California. However, uh, the system is set up to where you have to put your PID number, not your CDC number, you have a prison identification number. Right. You have to dial that number so the phone can go through, then you put in your phone number. So they know not only uh, who's on the phone, but how many times you're using the phone a day, okay? And then when that three-way yeah. alert comes off, it will stop you from being able to get through, gotcha. you know? So they're really stepped up their game in monitoring the phone system. And most people who are so comfortable, they think they're not being monitored. Mm -hmm. But you go to the board and mark my word, once it's done across the board, you're going to start hearing about it in the boardroom. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's because of the new tablet system, because there's JPay tablets and there's GTL tablets and the GTL yeah. tablet, they can make phone calls and have video visits whenever they want. Absolutely. And people think that, you know, just like the regular phones, it's certain words, certain phrases that the computer system listens for. And again, um, they don't give us those kind of luxuries for luxury. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, if you're right. doing the right thing, you're good. But if you're not doing the right thing, you're going to get caught. And you don't want to get caught before you go to board. You don't want to get, no. The, you and want the thing to, is, you don't want to do it ever, but you really you don't want to get caught, period. Absolutely. You don't want to get caught at all. Exactly. No, you know, and yes. So, and just like with cell phone usage, you do not want to um, get caught with that. You don't want to involve yourself because now you're involving your family equally, if not some staff member. And mm -hmm. the board's going to, and the board's going to make you tell. You want to go home? You're going to tell us where you got it from. Who helped you? Yeah. And you get a five or two. Or you're going to get a five-year denial. Yes. And interesting, right. the five-year denials are coming back. There's been a real change in, in the temperature of the board. The littlest thing will get you a five now. Yes, especially, I was at Pelican Bay, but even before that, I was at Avenal the week before that. And yeah, talk about a temperature change. So it's no longer three to five years, I don't think. Some, something has been said where it's more like five years clean. And they're talking clean from everything, like taking the extra apple out of the kitchen, 
taking a popsicle stick out of the garbage, you know, everything. And so all of it, all of it. And, you know, before when you needed three years clean from a cell phone, I don't think so anymore. I mean, most commissioners, you can get some lenient ones, but yeah, even Michelle said she was noticing uh, the denials, more denials and longer length. Yes. And Commissioner Dan Juan in one of my hearings flat out said that she requires five years clean. Well, that happened to me also. Um, I had a, my last 115 was in 2017. And I went back, uh, I got a five-year denial, uh, like Sean did. We filed, I went back in 2019 and the commissioner said uh, straight out. First, he told me he went three years clean mm -hmm. first. And then, um, of course, I went back and I filed again. I went back and I had Joe Sullivan and he mm -hmm. told me, I want five years clean, you know, and he was an ex-warden from, yeah. from Tasby prison. And he told me, I want five years clean. And uh, I get it. I get it because sometimes we get correct. We correct our behavior just for the board's purpose. And I learned that my denials were called denial management. They wanted to see how I actually managed my denial process. And right. in five years, if you can't stay clean in five years, uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't want a person coming home that can't keep itself together for five years because you get really, really relaxed after two years out here. You know, I, I want people to, to get serious about their rehabilitation, about their freedom, so that when you come home, you're not thinking about and now I can breathe. Back. Yeah, I mean, no, really, we want people to stay out because it's living out here. All right, sorry. Yes. And Michelle, yeah. we had uh, David on, Venice's husband. Oh yeah. And he was talking to the guys a lot about you know, re-entry and the struggles of re-entry and the, his journey of parole and discharge. And he really mentioned that two years, the wheels start coming off for a lot. The relapse really pops up for some reason. And that's the, Venisa and David have been tracking it as best they could. Two years is the marker. And then there's another marker like five years. And then, you know, just being discharged and still that old, like David said, he said, I'm still that old guy. I'm still the guy I used to be. I just, I constantly have to remain vigilant about putting my, my override skills, my coping skills into place. And so we talk a lot on this show about it's, there's a grant of parole. And then there's the thing called suitability. And that's that long journey that you're going to, that you're going to be on that a lot of our guys you get this a lot and we mostly represent men, but um, say, I got this. No, you'll, I'm good. Yep. You know, I've never, I haven't had drugs in 20 years. I haven't done this in, in so many years. You'll never see me again. I'm, I'm just not that same guy. And then you get out and you go, oh, that little, the little devil on your, on your left came popping <laughs> back up. Surprise, surprise. So we talk a lot about that uh, for you know, just the family's purposes. And we also talk a lot about the struggles like Daryl in particular and Sean too, about the struggles they have with trying to keep their promises to their parole agent, to the commissioners, to their relapse prevention plan and families going, ah, you're paroled now. Just let, don't worry about it. Come on, let's go to the family barbecue where there might be a few old nephews or cousins or whatever that are still kind of either 
you know, whatever, they're still criminally thinking. And so it's very, it's tough. And it's made me really get tougher on my clients about these parole plans, these one page things with a couple of lists of some adjectives. It's, that's not what it, it's, it, it, it's not what it's about. There's so many obstacles in their way. And, and we've been able to talk a lot about that. And it's been really good to learn that. Um, but I've shifted some of my discussions with my clients and really start working on relapse prevention plan for the long haul, not just to get granted parole. No, that's smart. I've been working on my guys too, because I've seen clients lately get denied because they say that it's not a robust enough plan. But I'm curious with Daryl and Sean, I'm, I'm assuming you gave relapse prevention plans and things like that at your hearing. When you got out, did you take them with you? Did, how did you follow them? How did you how did you actually utilize what you submitted at board when you got out? Yeah, we both brought ours home with us um, and we still look at them right now today. So <laughs> when we have issues that's going on or, you know, little things that's happening. We, and even when nothing is happening, we just, we pull it out and we just look at it and read it to remind ourselves. And as Elizabeth was saying, like, I'm one of them who has been ordered by the board to stay away from two of my brothers. From two of your brothers, you said? Sorry, it was yeah. background. Yes. yes. And so we had some family events that was going on and they were there and I didn't go because I was ordered to not be around them. And oh, so all my family was like, no, you, that's family come around. And, you know, we ain't seen you in a long time. And I ain't gonna lie, it sounded tempting. And I was like, well, parole officer won't know, but then I was like, but I'm a no. And so I made a promise to the parole board, you know, and to society and to myself that I was going to obey these guidelines. And so um, I, I denied, I, I denied them on going. And so uh, I just had to explain, to, and some of them were upset, but I had to explain to them that I'm on life of parole and I've been ordered to stay away from my brothers, two of my right. brothers. And if not, and, you come back as a lifer. Exactly. And so uh, it's important that I follow the rules because I have to keep my integrity. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm one of them guys that can't be around certain family members. That's tough. And well, until, until they get their act together and you can go to the parole agent, go, they've got their act together, would it be okay? Right, and they don't have their act together, so I ain't even thinking about that. <laughs> okay. And even without the special condition, it's smart just if you know someone isn't doing well to stay away because you can get caught up it's so easy. I remember back in the day when I did parole revocation hearings, you would see guys, if they're just with the wrong people, it's easier to put it on the parolee than it is on anyone else because it's an instant closed case. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So even, if you're, even if it's not yours, it's yours. Exactly. And a lot of family members, and see that's right there, excuse me for interrupting, family members don't understand that. They don't right. understand how easy it is for us being on parole to be the first one to be handcuffed, put in a car, driven, and it's a it's open close case. Yeah. on parole. But yeah. I want to I want to I want to mention also what you asked about the relapse prevention plan because Sean and I both have had small instances uh, where we have to revert back to our relapse prevention plan outside. So mm -hmm. I do not want the uh, inmate population or the family to think just because you present something to the board it's done. No, 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 no. These things need to be internalized. This, you have to tailor it around you. But the most important thing I want people to know is when you get out of prison, Sean did 28 years, I did 33 years. 
61 years total. When I when we got out, it was like the next day from when we got arrested. Because that's what you know in society. And a lot of people, regardless of our education and how we think we have evolved and the changes we've made, like Elizabeth said, that little devil, that little thing, the day you get out, it's like, where so-and-so, where so-and-so, where so-and-so, because that's all you know in society. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be vigilant to make sure you don't fall back. That's why it's a relapse prevention. And I'm not talking about drug relapse. I'm talking about criminality right. and thinking. And if you don't be vigilant in that and make sure the people around you understand what your true triggers are, what your goals are, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're definitely going to fall. <laughs> yeah. So we want, um, like I, we ask, we encourage Elizabeth to be a little harder on her clients, not only presenting something from the board, but to really present something to themselves that's realistic. Because when you get out here, and I mean, for us, and, and let me let me add this also, um, it's easy to go through a rehabilitative process, but we forget that all of our adolescence was built upon criminality. And a lot of our 20s was criminality, sometimes 30s was criminality. Just a six month plan is not gonna be enough for you. It's not, it's not enough for me. We put a lot of energy into becoming the destructive people that we were. So we, we have to do three times the amount of energy to keep that destructive person at bay because he is there, you know, he Waiting. is there. Waiting. And, and, and no, really, and, and you know, we're out here and we're living, we're doing good, you know, um, and hopefully we continue to do so without any glitches, but yeah. it's a serious, it's a serious ordeal. Very serious. And being on parole is serious. But it's very important that you bring that relapse prevention plan. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that I brought mine out with us, you know, and Daryl yes. brought his because you definitely need to go back and look into that relapse prevention plan and see things and just remind yourself of things, right? Your goals, remind yourself of your triggers, you know, your in- internal, external, um, and so it's it's really important, and it will really help you when you get out, as Daryl was saying. It will definitely help you because things pop up, things that you don't expect. And I've been through them. Daryl has been through them to where you know we had to go back and look. Like, wait a minute, hold on. Oh, okay, I I I, I know which way I'm going. And so yeah, it's very important. We recommend that all family members uh, tell their loved ones to bring that relapse prevention plan home because you're definitely gonna need it when you get out here because it's a whole different world. We're just on a bigger yard. (laughs) Sorry, Fry, I keep interrupting you, but I'm fascinated by this. So how many years out did you guys do your plans for? Minus five years. Minus five years also. And we did a goal system to where the first day, the first week, the first month, six months, the first year, first two years, up to five years, a goal that we can just like put on the wall if we have to. Now I got it in my phone. I got it in my phone now. So I could just look at it and say a year from now, this is where I want to be to remind myself. And if we don't get there, right, it's okay. As long as we accomplished some of our goals or did something, because, you know, things change, life changes. But our goal is to look at what we set for ourselves and strive to get in that direction. Yeah, because there are some, some alterations are necessary because we weren't, we didn't understand how society was when we made the parole plans. You know, we made our our goals. And and again, most people's mindset is based upon what they know. Okay. So when you get here, there's the unknown. So there there will be some adaptive changes, some alterations to those those plans and those goals, you know, so that we can survive out here, you know, without getting stressed out. Because technology is a a mess. 
It it really is. And that's that's the major thing I think for parolees coming home is learn how to do this technology. Because everybody I've seen that got on, on parole, their major problem was learn how to deal with this technology. Just learn how to deal with a phone, period. I've seen some of the guys get frustrated, want to slam the phone on the ground, you know. So you're learning this technology. That problem, and I've never been to prison. Exactly. And but see, and, and and we we make mention, Michelle, that in society, like my family members, all the things that are new to us, it was a gradual process for you and everybody around you. So it wasn't an all of a sudden thing. Okay. So you just you went step by step by step by step. But I, I always ask my family members and friends, remember there was a time when you didn't know how to do this. You had to learn this. I'm at that state now. You know, I'm at that state where I have to learn. So just be patient with me. Um, right. and, and I want to make mention because this is something that you and Elizabeth may be able to do. We're going to work from the outside. Lifetime inmates get found suitable for parole, but they don't go through the actual pre-release program because you're waiting for that 120 days. They don't want to mess with you. Then that 30 days come and then you're gone. So mm -hmm. the pre-release classes that they have that can be beneficial, lifetime inmates are not able to participate in those classes. And a lot of things can be can be learned. They can be learned if you go through some of those pre-release programs, if they're good pre-release programs, just to help you become acclimated a little bit. So um, I we, we're working with a few uh, gentlemen, a few organizations outside nonprofits, and we're going to start talking to some senators and some people to try to get them to get CDCR to start being a little more pro-social and proactive once a person is found suitable. Sure, you know? give them one pre-release class. That would be great. It's, it's really necessary because, uh, again, I came out of prison like Sean did. We didn't go to the city we were supposed to go to. Okay, they didn't do our paperwork. We didn't have so many, so much, so many things because we were let out right after the governor's little recall was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they didn't recall them, they opened the door for us. And I, I got out a month early. So I didn't have anything set in place. Luckily, I had a good support system. Luckily, a good community of people who gave me aid and assistance. But had I not had that, it would be, I, I would have been devastated. Yes, I definitely would have been lost. And that's what I think about, like, wow, what if I didn't have that strong support system? What if I didn't have, you know, people around me to help me out? I probably would have reverted back into the old way and started doing what I used to do. And that's, that's, that's something that, that, that horrifies me. Like someone who's been down that long and then doesn't have, you know, just be thrown out here like that. It was like, wow, okay. And so I, I wouldn't want nobody to experience that with me and Daryl experience jumping out. So what and would you I, recommend for the person that doesn't have the support system that just has transitional housing and the hopes to make connections through that that's found suitable? Uh, if they're coming to Los Angeles, we have a nonprofit organization that's being established. It's called Central City Human Services. Our motto is helping those who cannot help themselves. And we will arrange transportation from prison to your parole agent or your transitional house. Mm -hmm. We will assist them with getting a birth certificate, assist them with getting a social security card, take them to DMV and help them become acclimated. We're lifers doing this, help them become acclimated. Right. Um, because after 30 years, fortunately enough, I had a parent, a parent still alive. Right. I lost a parent while I was incarcerated. A lot of people don't have family. So, right. and, and, and society doesn't understand what our needs are. So the lifer population who's, who's being productive and pro-social, we're trying to formulate these organizations and groups to assist people when they come out and don't have anyone, because mm -hmm. we understand. 
Uh, and I know like Sean also established a, a nonprofit um, in Northern California to help so that we can assist the people getting out because they need help. Right, that's wonderful. Sean? It really is. Um, Daryl and Sean, speaking from being a parolee, eligible parolee, what do you think is the most important thing that attorneys can do to help you guys get out of prison? Thinking about the fact that we can't do the self-help programs for you, we can't get the vocations for you, we can't do that. What, what are you looking for? What is, is great qualities in an attorney? What, what do you guys need? First and foremost, uh, and I'm gonna say this, and I'm, I know Sean's gonna expound more. First and foremost, I like an honest attorney that will tell me if they don't see me to be suitable or not. After yeah. that first discussion, after that first discussion, you go, your job is to go to hearings. You know what the board wants. You're probably more qualified than the board. So you know what you need to hear and tell the truth. Because if a person is genuinely sincere about getting out of prison, he should take every bit of advice and don't not give a client those essential needs and necessities, meaning don't inform, do not not inform him of what's necessary. Because you know what the board wants. Now, whether they take it or not, that's on them. But I went to the board, I hate to say this, eight times, <laughs> okay? And <laughs> five times, my attorney didn't tell me anything. Didn't tell me what the board wants. Didn't tell me what I should do. It wasn't, no, it wasn't until 2017, as I may mention, I learned about relapse prevention plan, cause of the factors, and triggers and character defects. And I was like, what is that? So there's things like that, that you know what they want. And because I want you to have, Elizabeth, Michelle, I want you to have a W, not a L, when you go to the board, a win. So you know what the board wants and you, you can't tell a person what his character defects are, what his cause of the factors are, what his warning signs, his triggers are, but you could tell them if you don't have these, you're not going home. Bottom line, if you can't talk about your crime, you're not going home. If you're not going to be honest, you're not going home. That's the first thing Tracy Love told me. If you're not going to be honest, don't waste my time. <laughs> That's what she said. She said, save your family's money. Don't waste your time if you're not going to be honest. And be honest. The board already knows. You know? And, and, and that's another thing. Make your clients know. They already know. She, she, Elizabeth, you, you already up on your game. Like, she sends a lot of uh, paperwork for you to do as homework you know, so you can recognize your uh, internal, external, you know, so you can get some insight about your crime, about yourself, right? And so, Elizabeth, you're already doing that right now. But as Daryl said, just, we, we want to know the truth. Just tell us straight up, right? And, and we're going to still work hard, but just let us know the truth. That's, that's, that's very important. Very important. I, I agree with you on that one, Daryl. I just want to know everything, but just stay doing what you're doing. In terms of value, this. though, Daryl and or Sean, of the value in paying for a lawyer versus just going with the state-appointed lawyer, but what are you for looking me, for in terms of the value from the money spent by your family? Well, for me, um, I had um, Tracy Lump twice. Um, I had Keith Stanton back in the day. I had Keith. I had two attorneys in between Keith Stanton and Tracy Lum and complete opposites. But the value of I'm spending my money, first of all, if I'm spending my money 
um, I thought that I was supposed to get, I thought I was going to get a, a 10 minute lecture. I thought, I mean, I thought he was going to get up and, and, and it was going to be like Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> you know, me spending my money. I didn't know that it still weighed on me, that the burden of the hearing was on me. Uh, and I also learned that it's not always necessary um, to, to spend a lot of money on an attorney. If you have a good attorney who respects you, respects her job or his job, and wants to put forth all the effort to help you to be found suitable. Because there are some wonderful state-appointed attorneys out there who really believe that if you're doing the right thing, you should be let, let free. So um, the value, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say that the burden is on you because the attorney is supposed to make sure that my rights are not being violated. And I learned that a lot of people's rights have been violated when they didn't spend a certain amount of money. So it's, you know, it's, it's up in the air. But um, like for instance, Elizabeth, me knowing you, I know you, if I knew you were there, I would have saved my money. I could have used that money when I got when I, when I came home. You know, yeah, what I'm you would have been my state appointed attorney um, because you gave the same. I Sean got the same thing from you that I got from Tracy, and sometimes yeah. a little harder. So, uh, but but Tracy did a wonderful job, a wonderful job because I had a lot of backlash, and that's and it, you know what? Let me say this: depending on what kind of programming you've done, also because I was in trouble for. 25 of my 33 years, you know? So I had a lot of stuff that I had to correct. And I think Tracy's presence, she was able to, to cross certain corners and, and cross some T's and dot some I's on my benefit um, that I know that my previous attorneys did not. So it's, 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 it's delicate, it's, that's a delicate question. And I don't wanna be, I don't wanna uh, encourage people not to get an attorney, but I don't want people, I don't wanna encourage people to just spend all your money either. If you want to get an attorney, you can get an attorney. But like you said, bro, the attorney doesn't get you out. You can have whatever top-notch attorney from wherever, right? If you don't know your insight, you don't know your causative factors, you don't know your triggers, you know, you don't know your external internals, it doesn't matter what attorney that you have. You're not going to get out of prison. If you don't stay clean, you know, if you don't do these things that you're supposed to be doing, you it. it I don't care what attorney you got. It's up to you to get out. And so, yeah, I do recommend that, you know, but I did have before Elizabeth, you know, another uh, state attorney that didn't do anything. Nothing like Elizabeth did. I only seen him one time and it was like <laughs> 10 minutes, you know, and so, uh, but you have a lot of state appointed attorneys who who put the time in and, and come see you and send you word. And like I said, before I even had Elizabeth as my attorney, she was helping someone else. And, and I said, and I was like, oh, give me her name. Like I was gonna write to see if I can, you know, can you recommend me her? Because the, the way she did, because it reminded me of Tracy, right? And so I was like, oh, okay. She like, she concerned, like she's there for a client. And so they had to do homework. And so I'm sitting there, I had to help them with their homework that Elizabeth sent. And so, yeah, that's important. Well, and, and, all, and all credit to Tracy, when I started, she gave me her packet. She didn't yes. care about the competition, worrying about this or that. She just, all she cared about was the guys or the gals. And she and, gave and me her entire yeah. work product that she said, you do with whatever you want to do with it. You can send the whole thing as it is. You can use some of it, change some of it. And she helped me a lot along the way. And so all credit to Tracy and Tracy is a very good lawyer and she does care a lot about 
the client. And I think that just to say the difference between state appointed and private, I think something that Michelle mentioned the other day is that personal relationship that you can establish the trust. And maybe she can expound on that a bit more for why, if you have the time and the money as private attorney can really make the difference between the, you know, you're in the end zone zone and helping you get into, what do you call it in football? I don't Touchdown. Know. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. The touchdown. Really? So I think she's got some good insights into that just to um, finish this off. Okay. Right. Michelle, do so. And then I want to add to that. And you're absolutely correct, Elizabeth. So I do both state appointed and private. And I, I try to give my state appointed and my private you know, the same type of work and all of that. I send out a packet when I'm appointed to a state appointed that has homework in there. It has worksheets. It has all kinds of information for them. The benefit with the private is that most of them hire you more than four months before your hearing. So I've had clients that I've worked with for years. And so I spend a lot of time with my clients. I get to know them. I get to know their families. I do a lot of visits with my clients. Even my state appointed, I do more visits than is what's required of us because we have to get to know our clients to help them present their case. And even though in the hearing, we only get the 10 minute closing and obviously, you know, pop in if, if our clients need help. But really what we do is behind the scenes, the preparation, the homework, the talking to, our, I mean, I ask my clients so many questions, you know, we just, we get to know each other, we talk. And I think that benefits a lot of guys also when you're really comfortable with the person that's representing you, it makes a world of difference. You know, I've represented guys that just said, just having you sit there made me feel more comfortable and I could be open because yeah. I require honesty as well. In fact, in my, when I have private clients, if they get, it's in my agreement, if they get a rule violation, it voids the agreement. Honesty yeah. and you follow the rules because I don't, I know it's mostly families that are paying the bill. And I've seen it where I've had, you know, clients found suitable and they caught with a cell phone a week later. And that's very upsetting. So I, I'm very clear on like who I'll take money from for my clients and to make sure my clients are really going to be working before they allow someone to put out that kind of money. Because, you know, there's a lot of single mothers out there that are supporting their significant others that are in prison. And it's not fair to be breaking the rules while they're working so hard and then trying to pay the attorney bill as well. I know that was kind of off on the private um, state. No, thing. that's absolutely correct. No, you're, you're, hitting the head, you're hitting the head on the nail. I mean, the nail on the head, really. Honesty is vital. Honesty is really vital with everybody, not just your lawyer. Yes, I, absolutely. I want to add to that because the value, like both Elizabeth Tracy, I mean, Elizabeth Michelle and Sean said, the value is in the attorney and also in the client because you do, or you are the most important element behind the scenes, getting the person prepared because we really don't have anyone else who really knows what's going on. Listening to the people in the yard will get you denied, bottom line. It will get you denied listening to your cellmate, your homeboy, anybody else, because they don't know what they're talking about because they wouldn't be there talking to you if they did. Um, first of all, uh, next, the attorney, again, like when I started, they know exactly what's needed and what's wanted. But you have to, the way you care, because when I find someone who cares, who generally cares about life, you know, and not just mine, but even my victims, but, and I see it, it brings a human aspect to this, you know, and they make you feel more human because if you can't 
present yourself as a human to the board and that can only come from, the, from my attorney, then I'm not going to get found suitable. I'm not going to be found suitable. The value of the attorney is more, more important than anything. I don't just want a name. I want someone who I believe has a genuine concern uh, also for society because I don't want you to help me get out if you think I'm going to go out there and mess up. I mean, you know, that's another element that's really essential. So the value of it, I mean, it's, it's big and it's really big on, on who you hire. Like you said, you don't just take money from anybody. I don't want to just hire anybody, you know, I mean, I mean, because I want someone that's going to also help me for the long haul, not just for the initial. That's a really good point is consistency with representation. Even in the state appointed process, I feel like they should try to keep the same attorney with the client for the long haul because we get to know our clients. Yes. That would be wonderful. Uh, yeah, that would be really nice. All right, troops. What do you think? You want to wrap it up? Sean, do you have something to add? No, I was talking about how, you know, the attorney may, you know, when you have that relationship with the attorney, when they spend time and they shown you that they genuinely care, right, about you. Um, that's what I had to say about Elizabeth. Like, because when I first met her, like, she was straight to the point. She didn't play, but she made me feel comfortable which I was already comfortable of with telling my truth, right? But she actually made me, you know, she made me feel relaxed and able to really express myself even more, right? And just have a, a good dialogue with her. And uh, and and I, I, only, I think, Elizabeth, we talked over the phone, huh? We didn't have a, a screen where we were talking. And so I think that's very important also, like you said, Daryl, for the attorneys to make their client um, feel comfortable about talking to them about whatever it is about themselves. Because a lot of us, we think, especially if it's a state appointed, right? You know, uh, is that person really for me? Or, they, you know, do they work for the board? You know, you know how the public pretenders when we was going. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> and so, and so a, lot of, a lot of guys, you know, I'm quite sure women too, uh, think the same thing. And so it's important that the attorney, you know, let their clients know that like, hey, I'm here to help you, but you got to help me help you. Absolutely. You know, that was our stand when we was in groups. You know, we used to tell the fellas in there, you got to help the commissioners. You got to help them help you. So you got to know your stuff. Yeah, right? You know how to dialogue. Yes. Yeah. And you have to know how to dialogue. Yes. Exactly. And so that's very important. And I thank you for that, Elizabeth. I think following through too about making you feel comfortable. And that is if you have someone competent representing you. So it's one thing to have most of these private lawyers are not putting their, you know, name on the newsletters or, or whatever it is advertising their services, unless they have a more advanced knowledge of the parole process than some of the state appointed lawyers who may care, but aren't competent. And so that can make a person feel comfortable or uncomfortable. And also being able to give you the right advice for the situation is very yeah. important because you can get, this is my pet peeve, but you know, just waivers for the sake of waiving because you've got a 115 last month, a one-year waiver, that it that's not good advice unless the inmate is insisting on the one-year waiver. I understand that. But some of the advice given is not correct. If you don't get the correct advice, it can really screw you up, you know, in terms of when you're getting a new risk assessment, what what you can, what options are available to you if you stick. 
um, because you have to know the differences between being able to admin, will I get an admin review? Will I get, I've seen, you know, advice given or heard about advice given and it's wrong. And so that can really screw people up. So state appointed, a good competent state appointed, caring, good, you know, versus not, not a competent private lawyer, not good. So you really need all qualities. And if you end up with somebody at the last minute, it can be good if your family wants to switch over, you know, to a private lawyer that's competent, that will make you feel comfortable at the board hearing. Cause you can feel ready. You can be ready and you think you're going in there ready to go. And if your attorney misses something that should have been brought out during one of the meetings and all of a sudden, you know, it's sort of like, feels like an ambush at your hearing because it's something you forgot to cover. And that happens, but you really want that thoroughness that you can get from a private lawyer, that extra time, because the more times you talk, the more opportunities there are to learn about these hidden issues. You know, we've all had it. And so that also is a benefit. The time, more time, the developing a relationship, competency, the comfort level, just knowing that person over and over and over, getting to know someone as well, because one meeting with a state appointed lawyer, you already have a bad attitude about it because you think we work for the state of California, which we don't, we're just vendors, but you know, that that's very important. So I think if families have the money to hire good lawyers like Michelle Garfinkel, um, <laughs> that is the difference between that and hiring. I've heard people hire private lawyers and I don't, I won't name names, but they're just, they, they hurt, they hurt their, their client. Absolutely. Or they didn't spend the time, you know, you're paying them thousands of dollars and they came one for one meeting because they're putting their the entirety of their reputation and or experience on making that winning closing argument that isn't going to I don't think make the day that's not enough it's and not I, I want to ask something Elizabeth about stipulations cuz I was the step guy in my first couple of hearings but when I stipulated I learned that when I went back to the board I still had to answer up for what I thought it was I thought I was going to erase it I'm a, I'm a stip, I, was, I was in a hole, I'm gonna I'm do a step stipulation. But when I went back to the board, they questioned me about it. And I said, oh, wow, I should have went to the board then and got it out the way, corrected my behavior because they're still gonna give you more time. So it's real tricky. And a lot of competent attorneys, they'll say, oh, just take a stipulation, you're not ready to go. But I would advise a lot of people go in there, own it, correct yourself. So when they see you again, they'll see that you've made those adaptive changes to be found suitable. Really important. Exactly. So exactly. I really do agree with that because sometimes you're adding three years to another denial length. And so that's a tricky, that's very tricky advice. And so, you know, some attorneys, especially state appointed lawyers, they're going to give you the advice. No offense to me and Michelle, we're not doing this, but there are some that are just going to do what's best for the lawyer and not for the client. And that does happen, not with everybody, but it does. If you're working with a private lawyer, she or he is really going to should work through that strategy with you. Okay. What really comes out the best for you? When do you get out the soonest? When can you work on this? If you can stay discipline free, what is the shortest period of time between here and here? That may involve a stiff. That may involve a waiver. It may involve just going in and taking the hit and working back 
on a petition yes. to advance. It's yes. always different. Yeah, I should say it's, it's case by case because I've had clients that have stipulated and then been found suitable at the next hearing. Yes. So I think it really just depends. Like, like Elizabeth just said, the strategy is something you really have to discuss with your lawyer because it depends on what the rule violations are, the things you have to answer for, and what you can do to address them in a stipulation period or a waiver period, whatever you decide. And so I think it really just depends because I've seen several that stipped and then were found suitable. But again, it, yeah. it depends on so many different factors. Everyone is different. That's true. That's true. All right, everybody, why don't we wrap it up? It's going to be a lengthy one for me to edit. <laughs> good Sorry times. about that. No, Sorry it's good. That. It's good. It's good. We always get rolling. I always Thank think, you, oh, we're, we only have like 20 you know. minutes and then we've gone for an hour. <laughs> oh, well, it was nice doing it. I was going to say, um, have you guys done one on relationships yet? No, we, we would love not. to do one on relationships. We're getting a lot of uh, demand for that. I was going to, I talk to my clients about that all the time. So yeah, that's got to be done. Oh, okay. okay. Healthy relationship plans and all that. Yeah. Really? You're the expert. You're coming back. I, I don't know if I'm an expert, but you know, I think it's, it's something that I've heard enough in my hearings that I'm now advising my clients on these things. Yep. And uh, for sure, I love that topic. So if you're available next Sunday, we could do relationships. I love that. Probably, yeah, actually. You know, my only life is now my sweet little bonesy. I know. Well, <laughs> Ten Toes In is a good program. I've been trying to figure out how to contact that person that runs that to come on and talk about her program. I think it's a her. Yeah. Ten Toes In. Ten Toes In, yeah, for relationships. I've heard it out. I haven't heard it out, but I will listen to there's one up in Sacramento too that's pretty good. They that um Vanessa knows about. They have a some group for spouses and relationships support. It's very important. Very very important these days. It's one of my very former important. clients and his wife I think started it in Sacramento. Very important. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. It's um but I'm pretty sure that that it's that they're doing something. Cuz you're either you're that. leaving prison with a spouse that you've never really met met either seen in person other than the vid visiting room or sometimes or in family visits when you get out even if you don't have one to, you know while you're in there and then you meet someone new get. right and it's like oh my god this and you have a baby right away and there's a lot yeah. going on that is a lot that's a lot that's a yeah, great topic michelle all righty loved it loved having you on the show it was fun thank, thank you. you for having me and it was nice thank meeting you, you guys Thank it you very much. Nice meeting you all. Thank you all for coming on the show. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah, see bye. you guys Take later. Care. All right. Thank bye. you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.